you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, and I'll be reading from verses 1 to 9. So again, we'll be pausing from Galatians series, and we're just looking at this passage for this week. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, I'll be reading from the NIV. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, and to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Thanks, Sarjay, for reading that. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. My name's Pastor James. I mean, it's a joy to be here opening up God's Word uh, together. Can I just encourage you again, though, please grab coffee, have morning tea afterwards. But then at 11.45, can I encourage you to come back in here and we're going to hear a little bit from Margaret um, and, you, and about what she's going to be doing overseas. But at the same time, I want us to be a church that we're, we, we're passionate about sharing the gospel with people. And so maybe you're here today and we want to be... We want to be growing and sending more people out every year. We want to see people going out from here every year, whether that's to Bible college, whether that's overseas on the mission field, whether it's to scripture in schools, whatever it might be, we want to be growing that. So can I encourage you today, if there's someone here today that you know well, that you think actually, maybe I should tap them on the shoulder and go and tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, I think you should come along to Margaret's session because I think... Maybe you're someone who could go overseas on the mission field. Does that make sense? Often it's actually good to have someone else confirm stuff. God gives each of us to the church and he uses each of us to confirm things. So maybe there's someone that you're thinking about who should go to Bible college. Go and tap them on the shoulder today or over morning and say, hey, you should come along and have a listen. Can I encourage you to do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to give you thanks for your word now and ask that you're quiet in our hearts. Give us a bigger picture of Jesus. And Lord, help us to just be passionate about gospel ministry, to love, to be owned and possessed by the gospel in a way that, that it shapes all our desires, our, our thoughts, and it shapes everything that we do, whether it's with our jobs, whether it's with our money, whether it's with our property. Lord, help us to just have this passion and have a great joy in partnering in the gospel. And so, Father, we ask that this morning. Holy Spirit, work in our lives now. Convict us. Point us to Jesus, point us to the cross so that we can rejoice in what you've done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Where do you expect to find joy? Where do we, you know, as, 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 as Aussies, where do we expect to find joy in life? Where have you found joy? Where do you expect to find it? Maybe you've expected to find joy in, in a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, or getting married. Maybe you've found joy or expect to find joy in the birth of your first child and that moment of great joy as you hold that child in your arms. Maybe you're here today and you expect to find joy at the end of this year 
When you finish the HSC, get your, get your marks, and then finally I'm going to be joyful and I can go to uni or I can go and do a trade or I can go and do whatever I want. And maybe you expect to find joy in that moment. We find joy in many places. You may be finding joy today as a grandparent. That moment you get to have all the grandkids come over, the moment you get to hold your first grandchild, there can be moments of great joy. A couple of years ago, I read this about joy. Leaving home for the first time doesn't lead to more satisfaction, but prevents the decline of satisfaction. There's a growth in happiness in the lead up to the birth of a child, but a decline after it's born until they start school. There appears to be an increase in life satisfaction when you retire. For those who are empty nesters, life satisfaction only, you know, you think, oh, once the kids are out of home, you know, but it only increases a little bit. Being separated from a loved one leads to a decline in happiness. Where do you expect to find joy? Because we can find joy in the lead up to the birth of your first child. And if that first moment you have a great sense of joy. And then three months down the track, after you've had sleepless night after sleepless night, you think, where is the joy in this? Where is the joy at the end of your HSC? And you, and, and, and you got there, but yet it doesn't bring the joy that you wanted. In the moments that you thought, you know, if I have good health, I eat well, I have a great job, that's going to find joy. But now you've got a health condition, you've been injured, and no longer can you do what you want to do. And Where do we expect to find joy in that? Where do you expect to find joy? It's interesting though, in, in, in the book of Philippians, there's actually a book that's just all about joy. And so today, we're going to find joy in an unexpected place. Whereas our world says joy comes from circumstances towards you, that if your life goes well, if things are comfortable for you, if you don't have to give too much up, if you have the right house, the right car, that's where you are expected to find joy. Well, today we're going to see that there's actually somewhere else we can find joy. Because in this letter to the church at Philippi, the word joy or rejoicing, it's used over 16 times in over, over little than 104 verses. This word joy, this word rejoicing, it's used over and over again. And by the time you read this beautiful letter, you feel like Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote this, is the most happiest man in Rome. You feel like he's the happiest bloke around whilst he is in Rome. Except for us, though, in the 21st century, you wouldn't expect him to be finding joy in the position that he's in, isn't it? Because we expect to find joy in things coming to us. Because so you think, how can, joy, how can Paul be the most joyful and rejoicing person in Rome? Because when he writes these letters, he's in chains, he's in house arrest. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he's tied up and he's got chains around his neck. It's not a dungeon, we don't have to picture it as a dungeon, but he's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, someone, and he'd have sores, he'd be stinking, he'd be smelling. Like it's not the most place that you'd expect to find joy and yet... It seems like he's the happiest man filled with joy. Because see, Paul's writing to this church at Philippi. See, 10 years before this letter, 10 years before this letter, Paul, he turns up to the city of Philippi and he preaches the gospel. Sinners are saved, churches are planted. 
And Lydia and the slave girl and the jailer, they come to know Jesus and a church is planted. See, Paul goes there and he preaches the good news of Jesus. He preaches about Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's the Messiah that was promised from the Old Testament, the one who God said who would come, the Christ, who would reconcile and restore human beings like you and me to God himself. And so Paul is preaching this gospel that Jesus, through his life, death and resurrection, we can be reconciled to God. That through Christ on the cross, through his death in our place, you and me can be made right with God. And he preaches this message. But not only that, Christ conquered sin and death. He was raised from the grave. He preaches this good news message. And that Christ has ascended and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father and all things are being brought under his feet according to Ephesians chapter 1. And he preaches this good news that through faith, through Christ alone, through grace alone, you can be rescued and it's all of God's work. And sinners are saved and churches are planted. And Paul has this affection for these people. And we come to 61 to 62, 63 AD, 10 years after this, and we have this letter. Because see, this church has received news that Paul is in chains in Rome. And so they send money, they send one person, they send a couple of people to go and check in on this man who shared the good news with them. A mentor, a discipler. And he comes and he sh- they, they go to him, they want to check in. How are you going, Paul? And this is the letter in response to such generosity from these people. And today, I hope as we look at verses 3 to 8, we too will be encouraged, spurred to love one another and to know this joy that Paul has. That we can find joy in a very unexpected place. And that Paul's circumstances, even though he's, he's they're terrible circumstances, he's the most, I think he's one of the most joyful people in Rome. And may we be the most joyful people in Western Sydney. Okay. So we find joy in an unexpected place. And how do we do that? We know joy. We're going to see is we can know joy in three things. We can know joy firstly in gospel-centered partnership. That's our first point of three this morning. It's gospel-centered partnership. Now prison has not stolen his joy. In fact, I think it's possibly grown his joy. Because he's seen how his circumstances have actually helped spread the gospel. Now, over the last couple of years, maybe we have thought, man, COVID's been a problem for the spread of the gospel. Sometimes we might feel like our situation and our health concern is a problem towards the spread of the gospel. But have a look at Paul in verse 12. I I want you to know, brothers, don't be worried. What's happened to me, right? It's actually served to advance the good news of Jesus. Get this, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Now, the whole palace guard's about 9,000 people, men. Now, we're not sure whether the 9,000 have actually been with Paul, but that's a lot, isn't it? You can imagine the conversations as, as the guard comes on duty and talks to Paul. What are you doing here, Paul? Why are you in house arrest? Oh, well, I, I, I follow Jesus. Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about the good news of his life, death, and resurrection? And that guard goes off duty, talks to someone in the change room and says, hey, who have you got today? I've got Paul. And they go to Paul and he tells them about Jesus. And everyone knows about this Jesus because of Paul's situation. It's actually served to spread the good news of Jesus. Incredible. But then we get to the main point here, gospel-centered partnership. Have a look at verse 3. 
I thank my God every time I remember you. I want you to notice the all as well as we go along. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray. What's he pray with? He prays with joy. Why? Because of their partnership in the gospel. Did you see that? Because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now here's what verse 6 is basically saying. Christ has saved you and God's going to see it through. You don't have to, it's, it's going to happen. It's going to see it through to the end. But we're looking at verse 3, verse 4, partnership in the gospel. Paul is filled with great joy and he prays with great joy. Why? Because of their partnership in the gospel. Not just over the last six months, but over the last 10 years. Now, this isn't a casual partnership. It's not a fellowship where you go with a friend and have coffee every Wednesday. It's not having coffee after the church service with someone and just saying hi. It's a partnership. Now, you might have a, an older version or different translation of the Bible, and it might say fellowship. It might say partnership. It might say sharing together. That's one word, koinonia. It, it's a word for partnership. Which means a shared vision with a shared outcome. They have a shared vision with a shared outcome. And when a church doesn't have a shared vision, people will go off on their own directions and get distracted by all the wrong things. But Paul's got great joy because they share the same vision. And how do we know? Because they're partnering with him. And we're going to see how they partner in a moment. They partner with him as he preaches and spreads the gospel. They share the vision of making disciples of Jesus. See, this word fellowship, it's, I think in Christian circles, we've lost the meaning of fellowship. We just throw it around, fellowship lunch, fellowship this. But we've, Don Carson is so helpful in helping us understand what this word really means. See, I, I, I've got a 50% partnership in a ski boat, Right? I have a 50% financial interest in it because me and a friend shared the same vision. We wanted to go water skiing after work. We wanted to go work, water skiing on the weekend. And so we bought a boat, 50% each, right? Shared vision, shared outcome. But it's actually more. It's actually a business partnership that this word alludes to. It's, it's, it's two people going, hey, we want to start up an accounting business together. Two men, two women, whatever. They, they come together and we want to start it. So what do they do? They buy a, a house and set up an office. They buy the materials. They pop, it, it's, a, you saw, it, it's, a, it's a partnership towards the same vision and the same outcomes. And so here, it's partnering together to see an end result. See, partnership involves shared vision and shared outcome. It involves self-sacrifice for that shared vision. As Don Carson says, if two men wanted to go out and buy a fishing boat, they would go out and buy a fishing boat and they were in partnership, fellowship together. See, our love of the gospel enables our love for partnership. Paul has joy because of their partnership. And so how do they partner? I'm glad you've asked the question. Go to chapter 4 of Philippians. It's really good to understand how they've partnered with him. And here's one of the ways they've partnered with him. We're going to see two of them, actually. We'll see one in chapter 4, verse 14.
Yet it was good. Have a look, think about this word share, partnership. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintances with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. See, this church at Philippi, you can go back to chapter 1, this church financially partnered with Paul. See, it's a financial partnership. So, so you see, Paul's got great joy. So yes, Paul's there going to the ends of the earth, but they're partnering with him in the same thing because they're giving financially to him. I wonder if you're here today and sometimes you think, man, I would never be at the front preaching. So therefore, I, it, it's in, what I present is actually not that important. Maybe have you wonder if you've thought, well, I, I clean or I mow the lawn, so that doesn't really, oh, I'm a crane driver. You know, I'm a dental nurse. You, you might go, oh, during the week I, I, I look after kids. And you think, like, how do I, you know, I, I'm not like a Paul. You, you see, Paul doesn't, he goes, no, no, you're partnering in the gospel. You're partnering in sharing Jesus as you financially give. See, because they're giving because they have a shared vision and a shared outcome. A shared vision, a shared outcome. I wonder, do we have, you know, I wonder if we would have a vision of seeing, a thousand seeing thousands of lives transformed by Jesus in Western Sydney and beyond. To see thousands of lives transformed by Jesus in Western Sydney and beyond. See, here we have an example of financial partnership through this church. Now, have a think about this. If you go back and think about the, the, the people who were, involved in this partnership you've got Lydia she was a dealer in purple cloth that means she had a stash of cash she had a lot of money she was the, the higher end of society but then you've got the slave girl who would have been the who would have had probably no money wouldn't have had anything and she would have been the lower side and then you've got the jailer who probably would have been the middle class of society and yet all of them are partnering in this vision And financially partnering with us here through the offering and through you know, transferring money through your BSB is one of the ways all of us can partner in the gospel in whatever means that looks like. See, financially partnering is it's partnering gospel work. And so here for this moment, I actually want to just thank you. I want to thank you as a church. I want to just say, hey, I want to encourage you and I want to thank you for partnering financially with this church because it helps doesn't it it helps us do gospel ministry so thank you for the ways that you have partnered financially what a joy it is it's a joy i think as church leaders or elders it is a joy to see how all of you partner in that way to see and provide money just so we can even just open the doors it's incredible. But to see how incredible that partnership has been with Paul and Debbie Howes over like 1987, how incredible has that been? Now, you may not have gone there. You may not even know Paul and Debbie personally, but guess what? You've partnered with them. But not only is it financially, I think there's prayer as well. Look at verse 3. 
See, verse 3, it's, it's a tricky verse to get a full understanding of, to translate something. I thank my God every time I remember you. So you can translate every time, every time I give thanks, I remember you. Or you can actually go, it's every time they've remembered Paul. Which one do you go? Like, is it Paul remembering them or is it the church remembering Paul? I think it's, well, we take it as both. See, he's remembered them and they have remembered him in prayer. They've been praying. He's been praying for them. They've been praying for him. What a wonderful way to partner as we pray. But not only that, we can partner here together, not only financially, not only through prayer, but we actually partner through cleaning and through mowing the lawns and through setting up the chairs from every little aspect of church life. And the things that go on behind the scenes that none of us ever see, that's partnering together for a shared vision of seeing thousands of lives transformed by Jesus in Western Sydney and beyond. It's an incredible thing to serve together, isn't it? But there is danger to the life of the church, I think. There's, there's a danger. And that's when it comes to serving, we can feel like we're just filling a roster. We can feel like, oh, it's just organisation. Well, in the, in the early church, in Acts chapter 6, as the church grows, you've got to have organisation. And so sometimes we feel like I'm just filling this one role. But one of the things that Agnes, one of our staff members, has been doing so well is trying to encourage us that, yes, we, we're rostered on this week, but we're a team in this together. Do you see that? As you mow the lawns in a team, you're a team, you're partnering together. It's not a solo job. As people play music, it's a team. As people welcome, we're doing it as a team. Partnering. See, what happens in churches is, is often ministries can have their own vision of where they're going and they're going off in different directions. But here, see, partnership is having a shared vision of making disciples. That's having a shared vision of seeing thousands of lives transformed by Jesus in Western Sydney. Therefore, guess what? The welcoming team, the music team, the, the chair set up team, they're all contributing to that vision to see the same outcome. It's one big picture. We are individuals who have been redeemed by grace, partnering together for the sake of the gospel. And it means that we, as a church, we partner with those who are committed to the same. Sometimes we can partner with people who aren't committed. It's, no, it's people who are committed to the same gospel, the same truth that we want to share with this world. See, it, it really changes. This idea of gospel-centered partnership really changes sometimes our understanding of the word fellowship over morning tea, doesn't it? Because often we'll walk out that door, we'll grab a cup of coffee and we'll say we're just having fellowship. But it's just, you know, if, if we were to remove the building, completely zap it out, take the Holy Spirit out, you'd probably still meet up at the coffee shop during the week. You'd still catch up. You see, so this is a partnership though that's, we're in this together for the sake of the gospel. So I encourage you over morning tea or over lunch or whatever it is, is that we, we actually ask big questions of, hey, where have you found joy in Jesus this week? How, what a joy it is to, to be financially supporting Margaret this week. Okay, so firstly, how do, how do we know this joy? We can know, we can know joy in gospel-centered partnership, but we can also know joy in gospel-centered affectionate partnership, okay? It's going to get tongue-twisted today, but gospel-centered affectionate partnership. The church at Philippi showed their partnership and their loyalty to Paul and the mission prayerfully, financially, and in a way, we, we get the sense that they would have shared those struggles that Paul was having. They felt it. They were affectionate towards him. 
There's an affectionate partnership here. Last night we celebrated a birthday. My beautiful wife um, had a birthday yesterday. I'm not going to tell you the age, but we went out and we had some food together as a family. And we had a lot of, you know, and we sat around and we ate food and I ate a bit of seafood. And honestly, today, I'm still like full. I'm, you know, you, get, you just feel it. You feel it in your stomach. You're just like, oh, like we're so good, but it's like it's sitting, it's full, it's, it's, it's coming from inside. I wonder if your parents and you've gone away on a business trip and after four days, you, you're just like, I can't wait. And it's moving inside you. You just can't wait to get home and see your, your wife or your husband or your kids. See, Paul's talking about an affection that's it's not just here. It's, he actually says it comes from the bowels, right? It, it comes from the inside. Have a look. It is right for me to feel like it's, it's, it's an affection. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you. Notice all of you. Since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share. That word share, guess what that word is? It's, a slight, it's, it's partnership. All of you partnering God's grace with me and God can testify how I long for all of you. There's that, you know, I long for all of you with the affections of Christ. It moves from inside. Oh, how I long for you, for all of you. Have you noticed the all, all, all? See, he's not talking about the ones he, he sort of gets on well with the best. And not the ones who are going to give you a pat on the back and say, good job for what you've done. But he yearns for them all. He, he has this affection for them because of the gospel and that they're partnering with him. It's everyone. You know, like there's Yudia and Cynthia later on, we're going to hear they're having a bit of a conflict. He, he yearns for them. He yearns for the jailer. He yearns for, for Lydia. And in a way, as the church has grown over 10 years, there have been new people who came in to that church. Some he may not even know the names of. Some he may never ever have met. And yet he yearns for them. Do you notice that? He doesn't know them all. And yet there's this sense of affection. Why? Because of the gospel. Sometimes we think, oh, maybe if, if only we could just get along, I could have real joy. Well, actually, joy comes in Christ. It's an attitude. It's reminding yourself what Christ has done for them and for you. What a picture of affectionate partnership. See, some of you may, you know, you, you, you might come along to the PowerPoint presentation after the church service. But some of you, you, you know, you may not sit down and have a cup of coffee with Margaret Holohand. Others will. But because you're partnering in the gospel, there's this, this, you're going to have this affection for her. I wonder if some of you are here today and you're robbing yourself of joy. Sometimes we can rob, rob, rob ourselves of joy because sometimes we can just be critical of other people. Because see, being super critical robs you of joy. Because if all you see is the bad in everyone else, 
Let's just remember from Galatians, we're all sinful. And we never see the grace of God at work in their lives. You'll never find it hard to be grateful. You'll always find it hard to be grateful. See, critical people are critical because no one measures up to their standard and their law. Now, what does Galatians tell us? There is no, that is no gospel at all. See, often we receive the gospel, we love the gospel, but we don't know how to show it to others in grace and mercy. They find it hard because with everything everyone else does, it's not done how they would love it to be done or how they would envisage it to be done. And what happens is it, just, it, can, it can rob us of joy. And I think some of our grievances and annoyances with other people would just sometimes go away if we pray. Pray for them and give thanks for them and what they're doing. Because it's gospel-centered, affectionate partnership. See, it was the affection of Jesus that took him to the cross. It was the affection of Christ that he submitted to his Father's will. It was the affection of Christ that he was willing to be arrested. He was willing to be crucified. He was willing to be bashed. He was willing to have his beard plucked. He was willing to bear a crown of thorns, to be despised, afflicted, to be pierced, to be tortured. And ultimately, more than that, he, was, he had the affection of Jesus Christ. He was willing to allow the wrath of his God, of his Father, of our Father God, he allowed the Father to pour down all his wrath on him for you and for me. That's Christ's affection. Oh, how I long for you with all the affections of Jesus Christ, says Paul, for all of you. See, it's gospel-centered affectionate partnership. See, as Margaret goes out, we're going to have a sending off. We're going to have a commissioning. I think it's, it's around August, the first week of August, or on the 8th, some, it'll be the 2nd, but we're going to send her off. We're going to lay hands. We're going to pray for her. As she goes out, let's remember her through our finances. Let's remember her through our prayers, through our emails. But let's also remember her with our, like just going, you know, Oh, she's partnering with us in the gospel. There's a great sense of that, isn't there? As Margaret goes, yeah, there's a sense of that with Eagle Wing. There's a sense of that with, with Paul and Debbie Howells and with Scripture and schools. That there, there's an affection to see that flourish. Have you, ever, have you ever been on holidays and someone next to you all of a sudden realise they're Christians? And what happens? I don't know about you, but instantly there's this affection just rolls up inside of you. That's instantly. Why? Because you have a different, they, 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 they have your same worldview of Jesus. So you, you're instantly connected. If you're overseas and you meet another Christian and you haven't seen, ever met them before, but you find out they're followers of Jesus, instantly your affections are stirred because they share the same vision and the same outcome. They want to see lives transformed by Jesus. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? To see thousands of lives transformed by Jesus in Western Sydney and beyond. And we can know this joy in gospel-centered partnership, gospel-centered affectionate partnership, and thirdly, gospel-centered sacrificial affectionate partnership. Because see, the reality is to have this kind of partnership, it's got to cost you something. It's not what the world expects where you're going to find joy. They expect you're going to find joy in your comfort, in your house, and things coming to you. But to actually know this joy, it's actually going to cost you. It's going to be sacrificial. It's a kind of partnership that is costly and requires something of you to give up. 
So you can love that vision of seeing a thousand lives transformed by Jesus. We can grab the vision. But you can't act on the vision until you drop your vision of what you're holding on to. See, like we can love the vision, but you cannot act on that vision until you drop your own vision of what you're holding on. That's to, to take up your cross and follow Jesus. See, to partner with affection is to give up something of value. And the real reality is that we need to keep being reminded of is there is a real reality of heaven and hell. As you sit on the train and you see hundreds of people, as you sit on the sideline at your daughter's soccer and you see people there, as you go into the shopping centres, as you look at the TV, as you look at the news, we have millions and billions of people that have no idea of the reality of heaven and hell and do we actually feel that? That's why Paul, in a way, I think he's like, I'm just stoked to be in chains because guess what? 9,000 people have heard about Jesus. There's a real reality of heaven and hell. See, we can, for, for, for us to drop our own vision, we need to be owned by the gospel. We need to possess the gospel. I think Don Carson's really helpful on this. Because see, we can artic you might be able to articulate the gospel word for word. You might present well morally. You may know your doctrine incredibly well, right? You, you're, you're a whiz on it and you, and you hold to a certain doctrine and, and you know it and you're proud about it. You can look incredibly godly. You can tell the gospel, but in no way are you possessed by it or owned by it. See, to live the gospel-centered partnership with affection and sacrifice, it's to love Jesus. It's to, be, to just go, this has changed my life. See, the world says happiness and joy comes from good circumstances. To be joyful, you have to have these needs and these desires. To be served, you, you need to be met where you're at. But right now, we're living in a world, and in Australia right now, people are becoming worried that they're going to lose joy. Because in the places they expected joy to be found, it's going to be ripped from them. People are worried about losing joy. Why? Because interest rates are going up. Inflation is going up. They're worried that those things, if we don't have those nice house, or if I don't have that nice apartment, if I don't have this great job that pays well, we're going to lose our joy. That's what the world values and is convicted and see, so what happens when we, maybe as churches, you know, we can drift, you can start thinking it's all about the building. It's all about what we hang up. It's all about, you know, thinking that the church is here for me and me alone and should serve me. That's actually a world value and conviction, not a gospel value and conviction. We are to be owned by it. And in it we'll know joy. Will know joy just like Paul as he serves in chains. Joy to see people know Jesus. Joy to know the gospel. And as we understand the gospel, it changes our passions, it changes our desires, and it changes how we use our wallet, how we use our time, and how we use every aspect of our life. It's going to cost us to be sacrificial, sacrificial, affectionate partnership. What a joy it is today to partner with our missionaries, to partner with Margaret. 
And there is sacrifices for all of us in this building today to be here. We've sacrificed something. But we also sacrifice as we look around this facility. We are a larger church. And it means we're not going to know everyone and know them intimately. However, when we have a shared vision of seeing thousands of lives transformed by Jesus in Western Sydney and beyond, isn't that worth giving that up for? To give up that comfort and to go, you know what, we'll partner like Paul and we're willing to be even in chains for it. To see lives mature in Christ and to see lives come to Christ. We see Paul's heart here, don't we? He, has a, he just knows joy. He has the joy of thousands of people hearing about Jesus. Doing whatever it takes, giving up whatever comforts to gain, he could gain for those things. He'll do anything to partner in gospel work. So I'm going to encourage you now just to, to turn your eyes to the screen. And let's be reminded of a true reality that's going on around this world. Actually, what that means is, for over three billion people, they will be born, live, and die without ever even hearing the good news of God's love in Jesus. Just let that soak in. Three billion people who are right now on a road that leads to an eternal hell. And nobody's even told them how they could have eternal life in heaven through Jesus and his love for them. Like, certainly this must change. This cannot be tolerable for us who believe this gospel, who have this good news in our hearts, who have eternal life with God in heaven to live in a world where three billion people have never even heard. Now, on one hand, that, that number, I mean, how do you begin to wrap your mind around three billion people? That number can overwhelming to us, just weigh us down with just the need in a way that we're almost paralyzed, don't know what to do, or that number can overwhelm us with the opportunity that you and I have to make the gospel known among men, women, children in the world who've never heard it before, to make it known among them for the first time. That's what Urgent United is all about. It's about a select group of individuals, families, who are joining together and committing to give monthly, to come alongside indigenous believers. So brothers and sisters in different parts of the world where there is little gospel access and they live there and they've heard the gospel and they are working amidst persecution. They're working amidst all kinds of challenges, barriers, obstacles to make the gospel known in those places. And you and I have an opportunity to come alongside them, to go in a sense to places we may never go physically, but we can lock arms with our brothers and sisters through our giving, our praying for them. And together we can be a part of making the gospel known among millions upon millions of people who've never even heard his name. I wonder what we are all willing to sacrifice or to forgo to the thousands, to the billions who do not know who Jesus is. So the Trinity, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, they partnered together for your salvation. 
For God the Father gave up his Son, and Christ sacrificed everything to make us his own. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross for us. We too, through gospel-centered, sacrificial, affectionate partnership, may we know of that incredible joy of doing that, real joy, forever joy, because we've seen lives transformed by Jesus who have gone from darkness to light. See, last week, how encouraging it was it to hear from Susan and to Rochelle and to see what God's done in their life. And for Susan to share about C.T. Studd, who was a missionary who gave up his inheritance and who went to India. And there's possibly a good chance that some of you here today are here because of what, what C.T. Studd went and did in India. But I love what Susan shared last week. That C.T. Studd said, only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. There is great joy. There's knowing, there is knowing joy in the unexpected places, isn't there? Of sacrificial, affectionate, gospel-centered partnership. And as we embark on that, there will be great moments of sorrow, great moments of tears, great moments of heartache. There'll be great sacrifices. And yet amidst all those tears, amidst all those sorrows, there is actually incredible joy. There's incredible joy to be had as we see Christ preached, sinners saved and churches planted. Let's pray. Father, stir in us an affection for your gospel. Help us to know what it is. Father, help us to be generous, to give up, to sacrifice things for the sake of partnering in the gospel. And so, Father, we pray for us as a church that as we partner with, with Scripture in schools, as we partner with Eagle's Wings, as we partner with the house, and as we partner with uh, Margaret financially, that, Father, stir our hearts. May we find great joy in partnering with them for the sake of the good news and to see lives transformed by Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.